Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We have yet another Oscar race checkpoint. A lot of news. I feel like the news in its ramp-up is more so this year than it has been to previous other pre-major film festival pre-fall ramp-ups. Is that not the case? I'm your co-host, Mike One. I'm asking you, co-host also, Mike. Ah, I think you're exactly right. I think the entire industry is still shifting with the pandemic and... We have so much news in this episode that yet again we're having to spin off another news episode, and our and our summer Oscar series point. keeps getting put, uh, you know, by the wayside because we have to do a WB episode by itself in the next episode because that just broke the internet and broke film Twitter. I already have the title for that. It's got to be WTFWB, doesn't it? Just a bunch of letters. Absolutely. Doesn't it have to be the title? That's a great yeah. title. I, for once, we have agreed on a title. <laughs> <laughs> we just spent the whole about 10 minutes in the pre-production making fun of one another. Yep. So we came together while after we hit record. And that's how the business is done. Well, it was uh, me singing Pat Benatar. Then right, it was true. you. That was the harmonious moment. Yeah. yeah. Then that right. laid the groundwork. You're mm-hmm. welcome. <laughs> Good job. Uh, but you're absolutely right. We do have. We will not be. We'll tease the WB episode. We don't have a lot about WB and DC and David Zasloff and the shareholders meeting that happened this past week. Because we have too we much are, for later. They, they, yes. We want to give that its own shine. But we, if we put that in this episode, this would be a 17 hour episode. Right. We're hoping to attack that in its own singular episode. We hope that will come out uh, for you at the early part or the mid part of this upcoming week. But uh, all the other news that happened that's related to the awards industry and movies in general, uh, we're going to cover in this episode. And in speaking of the awards and speaking of the Academy Awards specifically, we have a new Academy president, Mike. Yeah, Janet Yang, as Scott Feinberg predicted, as a lot of the scuttlebutt throughout the offseason was rumored, uh, she is in fact... The new Academy president. Who is she, Mike? She's got an impressive CV, as at least as impressive as I think anyone could hope for, for someone uh, with a stature of Miss Yang here who's done everything in this industry from produce on Oscar-nominated films like Over the Moon from Netflix, that animated feature. Uh, she was a production advisor to Steven Spielberg back in the day for Empire of the Sun. She was his liaison to... Uh, she actually had the... Uh, I believe, if Wikipedia is to be believed anyway, she had the loan uh, marketing from... The movies being made in Japan, bringing them over to America once upon a time. Hmm. Um, but she's rubbed elbows with top line directors, studio executives, politicians. She's well connected. She has a pillar in the actual Academy Museum already dedicated and named in her honor. I mean, I'm not going to give you her full life story. That's it'd just be me reading Wikipedia, as a matter of fact. But here's what I will say. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited and hopeful for her, not only for her being the first Asian American president in Academy history, but... We talk all the time. The Academy is badly in need of some fresh blood, especially in the leadership positions. I mean, it's a thankless job being the president or the CEO of the Academy. And even when you do something as monumental as finally opening the Academy Museum, you're one Will Smith slap away from having your entire legacy be redefined anyway, as we found out recently. You're one wrong envelope or one Will Smith yeah. slap. <laughs> what else is down the pike here? Uh, but, yeah, I think I think it's uh, an encouraging 
start uh, based on her, her impressive resume. And, and let's hope that this strong new academy leadership steps up to the plate and they get mm. things done and they get this uh, this award show back on the right track. And, you know, the academy overall making enough money so that they can do what they want to do. Yeah, absolutely. So I, it, stuff to be seen. She obviously, it's not an easy job. I think it's one of the more thankless jobs in all of entertainment because submitting yourself to go on the Oscars in any form is just submitting yourself for public criticism at this point in 2022. Uh, so certainly being the force, force behind that show as is is going to lead to criticism. But I, like I said, I'm excited. I, I don't. I'm not going to pretend that I know everything about uh, Miss Yang here anyway. But I. Sure, seems like a great selection to me. We're hopeful, and we'll uh, we'll applaud until we mm-hmm. we can't anymore, right? There you go. All right, that's Mike. The, uh, that's the hope. We do want to tease the WB stories yeah. because obviously Batgirl was shelved, and the HBO Max, you know, dying rumors kind of morphed into the fact that we know that they're going to stay separate for now. But Discovery Plus and HBO Max are are rumored to merge together at some point. They had a quarterly earnings call where uh, WB Discovery is essentially mapping out a 10-year plan for DC. We got leaders at DC that are, you know, Mr. Hamada there wanting to back out. There's all kinds of offshoots from this main story where, you know, the Batgirl kind of news you know, when that hit, that that floored film Twitter, and for good reason. And we got to cover every angle that, of that from the Scooby Doo sequel through the Ezra Miller cult <laughs> status in Iceland, through to the Ms. Marvel release, and and that's where I'll touch on it now. Like the Miss Miss Marvel was an awesome show, and these two directors are from that show, working for Bisha K. Ali. There did a wonderful job with all the character moments. And here we get news that the test screenings for Batgirl weren't great, but Batgirl is still shelved. This is such a rarity that it's shelved, and it's seemingly done so for tax purposes. Again, we're teasing. Except the tax purposes make no sense if you do a little research. Like it's that, That's such a line that I, I'm feeling. At least I just watched an episode I just put on Twitter before we hit record, this 15-minute uh, uh, uh I don't know what do you want to call it, basically a soliloquy by Kevin Smith about his involvement in this DC, uh, what happened this past week. And he makes it sound like that the tax implications are, they're still screwing themselves out of $70 million by shelving this movie. It makes sense because they've already, uh, they've already had, they already have it in the can. So I understand that there is marketing costs and I understand that there are finishing costs. What I don't understand is how to do one's taxes properly. I've never understood that. <laughs> and therefore, I will withhold my full criticism. But I guess, I mean, if they can write off these losses, then, yeah, I mean, the the whole scuttlebutt, like I'm using that term twice in 15 minutes, which is probably one should not do. Mm-hmm. But if they're saving $15 million net, which is the rumor when I read something probably wrong. But if, the, if that's the case, Michael, then I get the deal from a financial standpoint. It's still a, a rotten, horrible thing that happened here, though. And you're killing your goodwill in the industry. 
I, I mean, is $20 million saved worth what you're doing to these directors and the sour taste you're leaving in everyone's mouths by this? I mean, we already saw what toxic fandom can do in terms of the, the Snyder Cut being a thing, and now you're taking telling DC that you, you want to do this with their plan. First of all, uh, we can't get too into this, but right. this is why we're going to save it for another episode. But the 10-year plan is we're going to be Marvel. <laughs> That's their 10-year plan. Yeah, they didn't really Great spell plan. it out for us. At least I did not... <laughs> I did not get the plan at all. I was like, uh, tr- it was a Trump plan. Oh, there's a yeah. plan. Exactly. We have a 10 year plan. We're not going to tell you the plan. We had a beautiful plan. It's a brilliant plan. You're going to love this plan. <laughs> We're going to be the most successful entity that this industry has ever seen. You know those guys that are doing that? We're going to do that next. We're going to make Joker musical. And then we're going to get the best New York mu- musical actress right. ever. My our ten year plan is to be Siskel and Ebert. That's the Mike, Mike, and Oscar ten year plan. And what what do you mean? What do we want to do in the interim? I that's for us to know. You'll find out. Yeah, well. except for Statler and Waldorf, you know, <laughs> which we already accomplished that goal. That's true. Michael, speaking of Joker two, Folly Ado, now got its release date. This is the one WB story we will cover here. This is October fourth of twenty twenty four. We do have Lady Gaga confirmed for this with a dual release from her and the director whose name is uh, escaping me, Mr. Phillips. Todd Todrick, Todrick Fumbledore. Thank you. Yeah, Lady Gaga and Todd Phillips each posted the same musical teaser on their respective Instagrams this week to announce the official signing, which was long rumored and everyone assumed was happening anyway, which is Gaga taking the role. They didn't say she's going to be Harley Quinn. That's obviously been the long rumor and how this was all speculated to begin with so we assume that's going to be the case Mm -hmm. but you know that wasn't confirmed it's just that she's going to be in this movie for sure i imagine joaquin phoenix since he doesn't have social media he followed suit in his own way by celebrating by like yelling at a five guys restaurant or something um (laughs) (laughs) thank you for that's true i was no that's good good i was gonna make a poker face joke she has a poker face right now but no yours joker's better it's a joker face now that's right Mm -hmm. all right (laughs) Um, yeah so i think if you believe the scuttlebutt to borrow your term that you've used the lead up, I mean, if this is Gaga playing Harley Quinn, I like I said previously, I do think this is the end of Margot Robbie, the Margot Quinn character. Uh, if you had a gun to my head, that's what I'd put my money on to mash a couple idioms together there. Mm-hmm. And if you watch, I don't know how this Joker 2 is going to fit into what Zaslav and company have planned for WB anyway. Because if they want to make the MCU, the DCEU 2.0... It, we're, you're starting with Joker? That's going to be one of your foundation pieces that everything else is going to be playing with? You're about to go like Justice League spinoffs with with Aquaman yeah. and, with, and with the Flashpoint Paradox, which is where they're going with the with the Flash movie. Which, if anybody's watched the animated, that's, that's a really cool animated thing about like parallel worlds or something it's it's pretty wild i mean there's definitely some multiverse stuff going on there and i i I really love that uh that storyline so i'm excited for them to do that and and i think they they feel strongly about you know that movie as a winner because of the storyline obviously more than the starring role because mm-hmm. he's he's in Iceland somewhere with a gun. Uh, he's doing well. Yeah, he's not doing well. It's Kevin bad. Smith commented on that, too. He's like, the problem with The Flash is that he's a real-life supervillain. <laughs> he's scary. He's definitely yeah. scary right now. Um, 
and it's not like in a funny never stop never stopping sort of way but right. that's the <laughs> first thing i thought of by the way but look i mean no they're they're rattled right now because dumbledore really screwed up they did not make money with that batman i think they were hoping was a bigger tent pole but it still made a shitload of money for them it made it made good money there's no question mike but they you know they were hoping that this hbo max subscriber net was going to be going to be a huge you know windfall and i don't know if they've kept growing how they want to be growing and i know they're spending too much and this guy's famous Zaslav for you know cutting budgets yeah they want to cut three billion dollars reportedly is the uh i mean i don't know what the hell this is not good it's like a train heading into a wily coyote tunnel you know what i mean and you figure out too late that it's just a painting on the side of a mountain and not an actually tunnel <laughs> well hopefully hopefully it's not that bad hopefully it's not ja- yeah it's not the jackass gimmick that i just realized was stolen yeah. from Wiley Coyote. Which is, <laughs> that's all they did. We all learned something this episode. Anyway, Mike, let's move on from WB. Let's continue to tease that. Uh, you guys get the gist of our opinions right now, but we do want to do a deep dive into it all mm-hmm. and kind of figure out what their mindset is because that's the mm-hmm. mystery to us both right now. The reception has not been good for WB, but let's move on to Netflix. And Netflix had some bummer news here, we think, with Rustin officially getting moved to 2023 this is coleman domingo who was supposed to contend as the civil rights icon uh for this academy awards but it won't be the 95th it'll be the 96 michael yeah in part parallel to announcing that this movie is going to be moved they released the first stills of coleman domingo playing the character baird rustin uh gay civil rights activist we commented on this one during our 100 percent way too early oscar predictions because it was supposed to come out this year but so mm-hmm. i think it's i think they think they have an awards player on their hands and this is why they're setting this up this way and if you look back at recent history with the best actor and best actress categories when you have someone going to for the those awards in those categories playing a biopic there's usually the two-year or 18-month lead-up between first look released and them actually holding the Golden Statue on Oscar Sunday. Mm. November 4th, 2016, the first look from Gary Oldman playing Winston Churchill is released. He wins Best Actor in 2018 at the 2018 show. September 5th, 2017, the first look of Remy Malek playing Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody. Freddie Malek wins the 2019 Best Actor Oscar. March 19, 2018, first look of Renee Zellweger playing Judy Garland is released. She wins Best Actress at the 2020 Oscars. September 16, 2018, the first look of Joaquin Phoenix playing the Joker, a.k.a. Arthur, as the photo was described as on its first release at the time. He wins the 2020 Best Actor. I know Arthur and the Joker is not a biopic, but it's the same idea is what I'm going for here. Yeah. Um, August 4, 2022 is when we get our first look at Coleman Domingo playing Bayard Rustin here. And we just, alongside that first look, get the announcement that he will be eligible for the 2024 Oscars. There's a pattern in place. It was broken up a little by last year's award show because both those uh, biopics, uh, at least, I'm sorry, the uh, the Tammy Faye Baker biopic, which won Best Actress for Jessica Chastain, that was released something like, the first look of that was like six or seven months prior to the film's release. So it didn't have that long of a run-up, but we were also were in heavily in pandemic times there anyway, so that could be accounted for that. But nonetheless... Point stands, this is kind of the blueprint for first look, 18 months, two years, eventually you're at least playing or in the contention, in the running for the Best Actor or Best Actress award. That is tremendous calendar work 
by you, my friend. So I, I have nothing you, to add. That's great calendar work, so we can still be hopeful about Rustin from Netflix for those very reasons two years in advance. Uh, we'll move on to a few industry stories here. The first one involves Cinemark's quarter two earnings. They are vastly improved from 2021. Are they where they need to be yet necessarily? I don't think so because I don't think I understand how to read these business numbers. Now, Mm -hmm. my guess is that they have doubled since 2021. So the quarter two earnings, they, they have half the loss that they had. They had like a $140 million loss, and now it's down to a 70 ish million dollar loss. That again, this is quarter two, but you know, you can you can do a whole nother set of math problems and come up with a, a factor of like five or six. So I'm very confused about these numbers, which is probably why I shouldn't ramble about them. But my guess is that things are getting better and the quarter three numbers should be you know, higher than the quarter two numbers. So that's hopefully something where Cinemark is po- actually posting a profit uh, or closer to that in quarter three that we're still in, Michael. Yeah, it's probably a microcosm of the ind- the theater industry at large right now, which is what we've been following. Uh, the box offices have kind of reflected this, if you look at them. Like, yes, theaters are back, right? Quote, unquote, in that they're not empty like they were during 2020 and not closed anymore. But the films still aren't pulling in. The blockbusters and the tentpoles especially, you just commented on the Batman. We talked last ORC about Jurassic Park Dominion and the Minion movie and all these other things. They're not pulling in the entirety or 100% of what their previous iterations have done at these box offices. So there's still some kind of lag going on, which is to be expected. Like, yes, of course, the losses should be cut in half and the the profits or, or I guess revenue should be doubled what it was this time last year, but it's still not probably going to be where any of these theater chains, the major ones especially, want them to be yet. Cinema included. And let's be honest, there are less screens showing movies today than there were in 2019. So I hate to be Debbie Downer, of course there are. But that's I, I mean, a fact. It, like, it's both anecdotal and serious. Right. You can drive around where I'm from in, in Connecticut, and you can sit, find easily within, you know, uh, so many mile radius, three theaters that have closed and have not reopened since the pandemic. And, you know, we posed the question of how much the cinematic movie-going business was going to get hurt during the pandemic. And we both thought it was going to rebound to an extent, even though we both said the indie theater business was in much deeper trouble and and that has happened to an extent a lot of the indie mommy pop mom and pop theaters have either closed or they've been usurped by the by the big uh, uh what do they call them mike the chains and the big, yeah the national yeah, chains, global chains. And, and cinemark has part of this report they have a higher market share than they had in 2019 so that's again it's just speaking to that very fact that cinemark yeah, is that something that they're like, look how powerful we are? Or is that somebody where somebody found the statistic and was like, let's just make people think this is how powerful we are without them recognizing that we have more of a market share because the mom and pop theaters aren't open anymore. But truthfully, I, I think the quarter three numbers are going to be even better than the quarter two. And we're going to be very bullish and we're going to be encouraged. And because uh, in a very frustrating way, the streaming bubble already seemed to burst like this summer when people just wanted to get out and do stuff. David Zaslav burst it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, we kind of knew was going to happen. It wasn't going to be at pandemic levels for forever. So the yeah. streaming wars are going to really start to commence now. And we're going to figure out what WB is going to do. There's a lot of 
There's a lot of intrigue about what they may do, Mike, coming into one service. Is that even going to work for their clientele? We'll get there. But Paramount Plus, they posted a subscriber gain, one of the bigger subscriber gains overall on a global scale because they've launched in the UK, they've launched into several other markets, and they've gone to 64 million global subscribers at Paramount Plus and 43 million domestically. They've added about 5 million in North America, but you got to remove 3.9 from Russia due to the invasion. Uh, and overall, Paramount posted some really high marks, uh, 126% of what they did the previous uh, f- uh, quarter, I believe, but due to Sonic 2 and obviously Top Gun Maverick, the first month of Top Gun Maverick uh, opening at the end of May for that last, uh, for, you know, for that, that last month of the quarter there. So Paramount's up. So I did a cursory look into the numbers here in this article, I believe from the Hollywood Reporter, and it seems like their film division and TV division are two entities headed in separate directions that they tried to present as one overall look at Paramount's health, which is up and is good overall, And but it, it's certainly being helped out greater by, I mean, the big success is Top Gun Maverick, but yes, like the likes of Sonic and the likes of the number one movies that they've had thus far in the first half of 2022, but their film division revenue is doing great. The Paramount Plus, the ad revenue for the TV side and the subscription revenue, both of those have declined. And they were buoyed only by the licensing and other revenue, as it was termed in the article itself, which was up like 27% to give the the TV side of Paramount in hold in total a raise of a, a revenue raise of one percent over this time last year. So, like, yes, the TV side too is still growing, but it's not doing well individually if you parse out the separate entities that make up the TV side in mass. Yeah. Well, I wonder exactly the what the breakdown is in terms of where the subscribers uh are who's paying what essentially because we've Mm. we've actually heard in retrospects a lot of the disney plus numbers were kind of buoyed up and we knew that the bundles were involved we knew that the freebies were involved but we didn't know that the international subscribers were making so much less and that's is that a question with Paramount Plus here? I, I don't know. Like, if they're opening up in other markets, how many freebies, how many, how many, uh, you know, get you in the door deals are there? How many, you know, month free deals are there? We don't know that uh, off the bat here. So they inflate these numbers to try and get the stock price to go up, right? I mean, that's it's simple yeah, as that. And they're not hurting for cash, certainly. Uh, Paramount isn't in whole. But, mm-hmm. I mean, like you just said, we're just, you know, the pandemic, the serious pandemic times where everyone was confined to their homes legally, you would think the numbers for TV would be a little better for Paramount Plus, no? I mean, even though it is relatively new, it's a neophyte streaming service, and it's probably one of the harder ones or lesser ones for people to adapt. It's certainly not in the top three, you would argue. So, I, well, I guess uh, my question is the revenue is that, you know accounting for costs or is it that total revenue without accounting for costs i mean is it net earnings is it revenue or is it earnings if it's revenue then that's one thing if it's net earnings then you obviously got to take into account a lot of increased upfront costs that they're using to try and you know expand the service so that's that's another factor thrown into here and again this is probably why we shouldn't dwell on this for too long the numbers are up which is a good thing yeah. let's not necessarily believe that they're up so high uh that we all purchase paramount stock and then we wonder why six months from now you know 
That's Tom Cruise saved Paramount. <laughs> he did some good things for Paramount. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Neon for a second, because Neon is looking to sell. This is coming from IndieWire, a really nice piece by Ryan Latanzio, uh, and he he says that. You know, obviously, he cites the fact that they've won the last three Palm Dior's and they are looking to sell to a deep pocketed buyer. The New York Times first reported on the potential sale while a source independently confirmed the news to IndieWire. Neon dipping into the market comes five months after A24 sold off a minority stake to the tune of $225 million. Now, I think the biggest thing with Neon is that they've had a relationship for with Hulu. And we know from a lot of the pundits out there and a lot of the business insiders in Hollywood that a lot of these deals, working whether it's working for TV, whether it's working with Apple like A24 or working with Neon like Hulu, they kept the boat afloat at a lot of these mm. indie production houses for a while. And Neon has that relationship with Hulu, so you wonder if maybe this is an I- ideal spot for them to go to Disney and sell off a bigger stake to Disney or not. We know Showtime and A24, they got a deal, etc. You, you can go down the card for a lot of these production houses. They have a deal with some someone, most of them. Like IFC's got an AMC Plus deal. Anyway, mm-hmm. does Disney swoop it up? We'll have to wait and see. There's a lot of other potential buyers, though. We saw Amazon be aggressive with MGM, but that was to kind of mine IP. Does Neon have that same robust gold mine of uh you know intellectual property it's it's a new studio does does it have that uh netflix we've been waiting for them to make that marquee acquisition for a long Mm -hmm. time they've been aggressive on the animated front recently will they be aggressive in this regard with a with a with a neon apple they already have a deal with a24 they also seem to have this brand and then you have somebody being aggressive like paramount plus trying to increase subscribership and somebody like peacock who's struggling we, there was just a big report that peacock was kind of you know treading water last quarter so we don't know there's no guarantee of a deal uh, according to latanzio and you know neon is just searching for an investor, essentially. and Where we'll would see. you want to see them go, Mike? I think Hulu's the most natural fit. Uh, I wonder if Disney Plus is going to ultimately wind up with just more cards and have Searchlight, 20th Century, Neon later on, and the kids can go to the Disney tab. and every, Because if you go overseas, Disney Plus is just everything. It's the Hulu stuff, it's the Searchlight oh, stuff, wow. it's the FX stuff, and it's Disney Plus. And it, everything hmm. is next to everything else because they're not as... And, and you could do parental parental controls and whatnot, but I think they want to be more of a, like a Netflix essential to everybody, not just the kid audience or not just the, you know, the MCU slash Star Wars crowd. And maybe this is a... This would be like an outreach to you, Mike One, because you're a Hulu fan, aren't you? So if you had yeah, Hulu, big time. yeah, I mean, if you had a twenty dollars streaming service with all that bundled together, it would be essential to you, and a lot of people like you, I would guess. I would be so mad if Disney bought Neon. I mean, how many? Just give Disney every studio. Every time there's a studio up, their name is mentioned anyway. They're going to. I mean, I think Disney's going to end up buying WB at some point in the future. Oh. I mean, probably a decade or so down the line. That's. But I've been pontificating that all week ever since uh, 
Zaslav came off and came out and said what he said about HBO Max. But nonetheless, I mean, I think every time there's a studio that's looking to sell Disney's name is going to be mentioned because they are that conglomerate. Those they're that guy in the business right now. So it makes a lot of sense. And you, with the connection to Hulu, it, it, the writing is on the wall. It makes a ton of sense. Netflix, I would like to see this. Netflix would be crazy not to buy WB at that point if they're not big enough to buy WB or or even Apple. Like I, nobody's going to. Can you imagine the backlash from the fans that? boss wb into making the snyder cut if netflix stops them from being from being able to see batman interact with the x-men in a film world <laughs> like film twitter their heads would explode <laughs> they would ruin Netflix. Fine. they would go to the netflix headquarters they can always cut a deal and do the crossover stuff but you gotta give me superman and spider-man <laughs> and i'm this close to it and you're gonna take that from me yeah i could see absolutely see that happen oh my god never mind what it means to conglomeration and monopolies in the industry but nonetheless i i think this would make sense for apple who's already in the a24 game i me neon and a24 to me are kind of interchangeable with a lot of the ip they put out anyway at this point so why wouldn't apple have interest in acquiring the, the problem neon? with a24 and apple is that apple is very selective on what a24 projects they want because apple wants mm-hmm. this for everybody tom hanks clean cut relatively wholesome brand and they've not had success when they deviate from that like coda is a part of that coda is a feel good you know mm-hmm. great story blah blah you know everybody can watch it kind of thing and when they deviate from that and they try to do the russo brothers they give them a passion project about opioid addiction and they struggle right i mean every time we've seen an a24 film at apple go really really dark and that's not just the a24 films i'm I'm mentioning both in the same sentence but obviously apple has a brand in their original movies i just don't see like i mean you look at all the neon movies on hulu it's Titan. it's yeah I mean, it's these Is edgy it fresh one. Yeah. yeah, these 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 movies are all over the map in terms of the uh, in terms of the censors, and you know Disney's okay with that as long as it's on Hulu. Is Disney going to yeah, be okay with Disney. Is Disney going to be okay with everybody have you know everybody's child being able to click on Tatan next to uh, you know <laughs> next to their favorite Disney cartoon? Probably not. So yeah, that's probably why they're keeping them separate separate for now. <laughs> I would love to see the kids watch Star Wars and then turn on Parasite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 and that's a tamer version. Never mind. Right. <laughs> never mind something like Crimes of the Future. It just shows, starts playing. <laughs> but that'll be on Hulu. But that'll be on Hulu. That's an automatic that's start. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you go from Mandalorian to Crimes of the Future. Uh, you're right. Disney's the right place for this to go. That's where I want it to go. <laughs> but it could, you know, it could be, could be. I mean, it's not going to be Warner Brothers now. So I, I was going to say it could be HBO. It could be, could be Amazon. You never know. Amazon. Uh, I think, pockets. yeah, I, it absolutely could be Amazon. Uh, Amazon seems to be, especially. Well, Amazon doesn't strike me yet as caring about Oscars. And if you're getting neon, you want to be in the awards conversation. Well, if Amazon wanted to outsource their Oscars boutique, right? And their Oscar, I mean, why not go to, to Mr. Quinn, who's run really fantastic Oscar, successful Oscars campaigns in the past? Mm. I mean, Tom Quinn played it perfectly with Parasite there. And he's had other films in contention. So, 
I also would be curious to see the price tag Neon ends up going for if they do get sold wholesale. It doesn't sound like they're they're doing that. It sounds like they're trying to sell off a piece. That's why I'm saying, like, I, I, could, I could see Disney just saying, all right, we're in for the piece. We got the deal. We're in for more. Kind of like how Sony strengthened their deal with Netflix in a way, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. We'll see. A lot, of, lot to keep our eye on. We have a lot of film festival news to follow up with as well. All right, we have Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery to close the BFI London Film Fest. This will be October 16th, which will also be the New York Film Festival closing night, I believe. Uh, so we're probably looking at that Thanksgiving Day push for a Glass Onion. Uh, whether or not it's a 45-day window for the Knives Out sequel or not, we'll see. This is kind of traditional for Netflix to posture something big, especially an original movie like a Red mm-hmm. Notice, like an Irishman for that Thanksgiving yep. day, uh, that Thanksgiving holiday where everybody's home with families. So this makes some sense, as I've, as I've said before. So this rollout for a Knives Out mystery makes some sense if it's stretching its film festival run through London. Does this suggest to you that Netflix expects this to compete for an award? Well, not necessarily. I mean, we had the harder they fall in the spot last year. Uh I think think the London Film Fest wants a more popular film. They're not necessarily going for every award in the books. Uh, If you look at their closing nighters in the past, I don't have it in front of me, but I remember doing this last year. It wasn't like a string of oscar contenders every year they, they're kind of like tiff where they go for the crowd pleasers in a way but this sounds to me like it's it, it it would be surprising if netflix puts out glass onion in early october and then mid-october they're actually closing a film festival with glass onion yeah. that makes no sense to me no i think you i think you hit the nail on the head i expect this to be a thanksgiving ish release right. for if, netflix. if not christmas so that is london bfi there we'll go to new york and we have a inspired pick for the centerpiece this is the documentary all the beauty and the bloodshed and mike the, we got a plot premise for it in her essential urgent and arrestingly structured new documentary from participant academy award-winning filmmaker laura poitras who did citizen four uh, which was a main slate selection for new york's film festival 52 this weaves two narratives the fabled life and career of era defining artist nan golden and the downfall of the sackler family the pharmaceutical dynasty golden personally took on in her fight to hold accountable those responsible for the deadly opioid rec- uh, epidemic and talk about something that's very conventionally uh, prevalent absolutely so there's a lot of there's a lot of prevalent themes uh in this uh in this doc so you gotta push this up to the doc feature contender status especially being a centerpiece for something like new york's film festival i can't imagine documentaries often play that the last as, as, as a centerpiece the last marquee spot for a documentary at the new york film festival was ava duvernay's 13th which wound up being a documentary documentary feature nominee in 2013 mm-hmm. forgive me i don't remember if that was opening or closing night or the centerpiece but it was one of those three marquee spots so yeah the, the fact that we have all the beauty in the bloodshed as the centerpiece when so many other films are rumored to be headed there already like she said and certainly with uh with big name releases that they announced this week that we're going to get to in a minute including armageddon time we gotta we gotta say documentary feature has a new contender uh, yeah sure. if not if not outright front runner right there that's something definitely uh worth 
good God, is that notable? Uh, you mentioned Armageddon Time. That's going to get a special event screening at New York. So this is intriguing because Armageddon Time was last slated to come out like the end of September, but this makes sense if they're doing like a close release the same way they're doing with Till, where it's just kind of like a, a, a barely early release date. They did that for Titan last year, where it got its New York Film Festival a couple of days before it got its theatrical limited release. So that was cool, and it was still a big deal, and it kind of launched Titan with some extra buzz, but it was kind of at the end. And we've seen AFI does this perhaps more often than New York Film Festival, but they do it for a few for a few films each year. So they're doing it for Till, they're doing it for Armageddon Time, which makes me think that we're still looking at a bunch of canned films and it makes me wonder about which can films. Because Triangle of Sadness, that doesn't have a release date yet from Neon, Holy Spider, EO, Close, not quite. But Decision to Leave does, right? But Decision to Leave had a release date in October. So is that actually coming to New York Film Festival? I'm not sure. Broker's still, you know, broker's still uh, ambiguous about when they're going to release in America, even though they've kind of let the cat out of the bag that they're going to France in December so Broker, Hirokazu Kurita's movie uh, that we're very excited to see. That's already actually made $15 million at the South Korean Japanese box office, by the way. Wow. So it's already done fairly well there. So that's just like my, my uh, again, scuttlebutt about the New York Film Festival, <laughs> what I'm kind of angling for. So the Banshees of Inna Sharon that we're going to talk about in a minute, I would be surprised if that's New York Film Festival. I think they would have announced that already as like, in the Armageddon time slot, right? Just that last minute premiere. You never know, but I think we're, we're looking at in terms of the other big names. Yes. The Fablemans, Babylon, Amsterdam. I don't think Wakanda forever or the way of water, you know, would premiere at New York. Like, like Dune did last year. I think we're looking at, you know, I think we're looking at those awards titles that I just mentioned and, and the can films. What are you hopeful? What do you most want to see out of uh, what's rumored or what you're kind of put reading the tea leaves about? Well, I can go four days, and I can go for sure. Hopefully, hopefully I can go a few more days. Last year, I went eight days. I saw, like, 18 movies. This mm-hmm. year, I can go four days for sure, and I, I know that one of those days is, like, one of the last days of the festival, so I know, like, they'll only play, like, the hits. Right. At that, at you know, I'll, I'll do like a triple or quadruple feature where I'll see some marquee films. So I'm excited about that, and I'm hoping that like Triangle of Sadness. I'm hoping that some of the big ones are there, and because last year I saw like Dune, Tragedy of Macbeth, back to back. I saw one other, I forget what it was, but it was back to back to back big big films, like the worst person in the world, back to back to back, and it was really cool that I was able to to eat so well and watch such good movie, you know, watch such good filmmaking with all the marquee people still there, uh, which was awesome. And how many of those eight trips included PJ Clark's everyone. Every, I ate, I, cause here's the great thing about PJ Clark's. Like if I'm with your slow ass, I, I probably can't go back and forth, but I My walk slow fast. Ass. You're a mall walker. I know it. You're a mall walker. You go so slow. I, you got, you're not a city walker. You're not as there's no way you're a city walker. So uh-huh. I get to the I get to PJ Clark's like five minutes after the after I'm out of that screening. Right. And I have a Guinness in front of me immediately. The bartender already knows me. He knows I'm going to screenings <laughs> and he knows like I need a I need something within like a 25 minute radius. I have eaten. I have left. I have I feel I, it's it's I have it down to a science right now between me and PJ. I'm 
very happy for the both of you. <laughs> With you, I got to do the whole, like, all right, if we go, like. Ricochet shots over here over how I walk. <laughs> uh, definitely got to take our time. We'll mosey a little more. We'll, we'll take, we'll, we'll do the, uh, we'll reenact the scene from Moonstruck in front of Lincoln Center uh, in between screenings Good. before That's we. That's all I want. Thank before you. we get uh, Thank our, you for our, the our Let's talk about Tiff. <laughs> we have uh, a couple more uh, selections uh, that, that were announced. The first was a 10-film uh, a platform program that includes Emily. And this is the directorial debut, debut from Frances O'Connor. She's the actress from Mansfield Park, AI, Conjuring 2. And this, of course, is the story about Emily Bronte that we've previewed, again, it seems like two years, Michael, yeah, starring Emma Mackey of Sex Education. I, I don't have much there. I do have much on the Midnight Selections that were formally announced for TIFF this week. The Midnight Selection, the opening film for the Midnight Selections, the Midnight Terror, which is usually where TIFF shines the light on horror a little bit. Um, not going to be horror. <laughs> Weird. The Al Yankovic story, funded by Roku. It's a Roku movie starring <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al Yankovic in a biopic. That's going to open the Midnight Selection uh, path portion of the TIFF Festival. We also have confirmed that Pearl from A24 and Ty West, we've commented on that previously and previewed it, starring Mia Goth. That's going to be playing in Midnight uh, at Midnight Madness, Midnight Selections at TIFF, as will VHS 99 as with, with a couple other notable names. Uh, and by the way, Quinta Brunson is in Weird, the Al Yankovic yes, story. Yes, yeah, she way. is. So, that, so she, if, you, if you go down that cast list, it's like... <laughs> I didn't know Roku had that kind of pockets. <laughs> I, I look at. I'm tempted to get Roku for at least the trial for yeah. that movie alone. Aren't you? Same, absolutely. I've never heard of a Roku. I don't even know what it is. Is it like a Fire Stick? It, it, it's that's exactly what it is. But I didn't know they had like original programming. Yeah, so that's. That's tempting, damn it. I, I don't I subscribe to enough streaming service. Anyway, there's one more movie that I wanted to that I wanted to bring up because I wonder if people got it confused with Decision to Leave because this is called Project Wolf Hunting. And by people, you mean you? I mean people. I mean, <laughs> I didn't do this. I just listened if to If you're going to yell at me for my slow walking that you've created in your mind. <laughs> Bloody Bedlam breaks out. Look at that uh, alliteration. Yeah, Bloody it. Bedlam breaks out on the high seas in writer-director King Hong Sun's gnarly action thriller that pits cops versus cons aboard a cargo. I love the alliteration of this premise. Cargo <laughs> ship with a sinister secret in its hold. Project Wolf Hunting. Listen to that premise. Bloody that Bedlam breaks. Beautiful. Pits cops versus cons aboard a cargo ship Three. with a sinister secret. And yeah, that's a great job. That's Three a, that's a levels of, of alliteration yeah. there. Beautiful like job. That. So we finally got a movie about werewolves. Uh, right I there. hope this one is best picture worthy, as I <laughs> imagined and was to, led to believe that other one was. Now, I have one really quick correction about a film festival episode we did recently. Remember Dead for a Dollar when we talked no. about Walter Hill? This yes. is This is... This is Willem Dafoe versus Christoph Waltz yes. with Rachel yes, yes, Brosnahan yes. in it. And I had said, and you did not correct me, so I blame the both of us, but no, I blame it, me. It didn't sound right, but I, we were going too fast. It's we were going fine. Fast. I was wrong. I was wrong. Yeah, We were going fast. I don't know how this got past me, but I am like mortified yeah. that I said Walter Hill directed Alien. Yeah. 1979's Alien. Of That's course, bad. Ridley Scott did that. Of course, That's I bad. knew that. Of course, we've all known that. Uh, he di- Walter Hill directed The Warriors, Last Man Standing, etc. 
I'm a dope. We went too fast. Sometimes we just read the copy, you know? <laughs> it happens. Ron Burgundy reads what's put on the teleprompter <laughs> sometimes. The fact that I wrote the teleprompter stuff, though, and I let yeah. that slide. No, that's, it's, it's inexcusable on both of us. It's, it's, we should be slapped. Mm-hmm. Michael, we have an Oscar trailer. It's the Banshees of Inna Sharon, Martin McDonough, Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Kerry Condon, Barry Keegan. This is from Searchlight Pictures. It will get its release October 21st, five days after the New York Film Festival. Hence the reason why I don't think it'll be there. You never know, though. This trailer is exactly what I hoped for. I loved so it so much. It's such a good trailer. It's so pretty. It's so short and to the point. I thought I was under the impression there was like a war backdrop to this film. And that's that's the reason for the strife between Colin Farrell and, well, I guess just Brandon Gleeson towards Colin Farrell. <laughs> but I didn't look it up. Do you know what time period? He's like referencing Mozart. It's not it's not present day, obviously, or they're, they're just lost in time. I think it's like the you know, early 20th century, I think. Yeah, it doesn't seem to there to be any electricity anywhere. So I, okay. I'm, I'm like you. I imagine it's in that same time frame. But no, I don't think it's directly referenced. So this is like real Guinness. This is like before the... Bre- <laughs> and that's yeah. what's important here. <laughs> but Brendan Gleeson tormenting Colin Farrell with the silent treatment and worse. I, Farrell's breaking down emotionally uh to increasing lengths throughout the trailer. The rest of this Irish ensemble is perfectly droll and deadpan, uh, and and they're just all concerned, again, to increasing levels because this trailer just culminates so beautifully. I just can't wait. I I think it it builds. I mean, the quotes are good. There's all this repartee. I just don't like you no more. But you liked me yesterday. What the hell is going on between you and me fucking brother? He's dull, Siobhan. He's always been dull. He's always been dull. (laughs) I mean, even the stuff about, like, you know, for two hours you spent talking to me about the things you found in your little donkey shite that day. And he's like, well, it wasn't me little donkey shite. It was me pony shite, which shows how much you are listening. <laughs> and then the stuff with the shears, which, mm-hmm. show, you know, it's like high stakes. And he's like, I'm going to cut off my figure for every time you come talking to me. I'm done with you. Don't like, you want to see if he actually cuts it off? Don't you want him to see lose one finger to see if he's serious? Oh, my I don't God. Know if the, I, is it me or is Barry Kogan like? more reserved than every other role he's ever had. I don't remember him being this alive. He's uh he's quite the thespian, man. I I I wasn't as big of a fan of his Joker portrayal and that deleted scene that was released on the internet. We were not fans, uh but he was very good in Eternals. I thought he was one of the stronger actors. He was good, in that. but he was so he was more reserved, I felt, more like pulled back. That's how I'm used to seeing him. Like he he seemed more I don't know affable more present in this one it seemed like a more of a an uplifting character a charismatic character what was the horse movie that he did with that was not about horses you should know this don't you have I, a I don't you don't you have a rolodex of movies that you like put on the killing of a sacred deer was of course his big breakout but mm-hmm. uh calm with horses i believe yeah calm with horses it's not about horses mike but calm with horses uh, he's also quite the character. me around horses. I love horses, horse movies. I feel like I have to just repeat that once every once in a while. <laughs> I, uh, I can't wait. I can't wait. This is turning in, which I know I'm jinxing right now. Yeah, totally jinxing. Yeah, you are. Like we were going to do it, there's a- not a lot of, it doesn't seem like there's, there's best picture goods here. Yeah. I just want a fun movie and right. 
yeah, I, I, I want everything from this movie, and it's just going to be this little, like uh, <laughs> like McDonough said, it's beautiful cinematography with a bunch of Irishmen muttering. <laughs> yeah, two 40-year-old Irishmen muttering at each other, yeah, <laughs> which is great. It, it's it's very, it's. I'll tell you what, if that's all it is, and the, the trailer is giving us exactly what's in the movie, it's as cinematic as you can make that thing, that type of movie. I'm in. I can't wait for the Banshees of Innis Sharon. Let's look out for it in October. Uh, we're going to do kind of a what we're watching make the case segment here because I watched way too much stuff. And here's what I picture. Again, I picture you walking very slow. We've established this. <laughs> yeah, when yeah, we're in Lincoln one. Center, I just picture me always walking ahead of you and looking back, waiting for you. Okay, but, that's one. <laughs> uh, but all right, I'm picturing a lot of things. I, I picture yeah. two things. I also picture you just... Your dog just shitting all over your hand oh while you God. try to wipe it because your dog had di- a, 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 a diarrhea attack I over was the at weekend. The freaking animal hospital until four a.m. on yeah, it's not even it funny, but it's funny to me. Yeah, well, he 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 would not. He just was firing out. Yeah, he was not doing well, and he wasn't eating. He wasn't sleeping. He just the poor thing. So yeah, so I, I wasn't having you, a good time. Waiting up with him and you guys on the couch together, him just pooping all over you. (laughs) And you just like crying, thinking about your your life not being where you want it to be. (laughs) But then, but here's the thing. I picture you watching nonsense TV and then the Lord of the Rings Return of the King case on top of the VA, uh, top of the VCR mm-hmm. or whatever you still have, mm-hmm. DVD player. <laughs> I picture that case open and then you turning your laugh, your 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 cry into an evil laugh. That's what I picture. And just refusing to put it in is what you're refusing, getting at here. Yeah. Refusing to put it in. Um, no. <laughs> None of that happened, unfortunately, for you. Uh, Let's see how many episodes I can bring this up. <laughs> Didn't have didn't have that much free time, believe it or not. Um, I believe you. <laughs> I don't believe you. What am I saying? I, I, I'm not going to try to be nice. I, that's what I picture. I picture you doing that for hours. I did watch one of these movies. I had enough time to do that, but that you was did. It. I was uh, yeah. I watched. Uh, I did not watch Bullet Train, which I'm disheartened to hear your opinion on. By the way. Well, but here's. I had low expectations. I knew it was going to be completely ridiculous, and it was completely ridiculous. I knew it was going to be a little annoying because it thought it was too cute for its own good, and and it was it was more than a little annoying. But it's still fun overall. Like I'm giving this a B minus grade because I like the cast. Brad Pitt uh, is fun. He's got this character that's all obsessed with luck, and it's this Murphy's Law story where he has bad luck and. You know, it's. I like the direction. Do you walk of away it. from this with the same feeling as like Smoke and Aces? No, it's above Smoke and Aces, but it's not at like kick ass Deadpool snatch levels of clever action comedy. You know, more action than comedy, but it, like a few jokes hit. And when it does, I, I, I get a few belly laughs, belly laughs, so I'm ultimately forgiving. But there are far too many expositional, anecdotal flashbacks, Mike, Mike, and they interrupt some of like the biggest sequences of the movie for like no reason. So it's completely preposterous, and it's just too convoluted for a snatch-and-grab job. But for like a movie where I'm just going to, to get a kick out of the action and the, you know, the... Production Fantasize about your co-host getting poop on his hands. Production values being good, and yeah, my, I could it could be worse. I could be getting pooped on, but I picture I still come back. I can't give you too much credit because I think you're just 
you know, raising your fist and laughing hilariously at not watching Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it was never on my mind. <laughs> but look at summer action comedy blockbuster area. You know, if you're not expecting like an A movie, Bullet Train is fun. It doesn't have an Oscar lens. I, I don't even think sound or VFX. No. But it's 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 kind of fun, and you know people seem to think so because it did well at the box office. Mike opened over thirty million dollars domestically, thirty two point four, and it did lead the box office this week. That's a sixty two point four million total worldwide gross for Bullet Train in its first week, and so it's probably going to pass hundred million domestically, which yeah. is good news for Sony there. Uh, Super Pets was in second place, no pulse on third place with eight point five million. That's up to ninety seven point nine million domestically. Still has yet to be released overseas. Uh, Thor: Love and Thunder is on there. Minions are on there. Top Gun: Maverick is on there. All those three still making seven million dollars or more. Top Gun: Maverick became Paramount's number one domestic film all time. Yeah, passing Titanic, which is no small feat. By pretty the way. incredible. Pretty incredible. I think Nope comes out internationally pretty soon. I don't know if it came out this week or if it's next people have to let us know but that's that's a number i'm very eager to see if it can make more money overseas because yeah. of its draw because of its you know the, the fact that it's a flying saucer movie and delivers in that in that way I, i'd be curious but i think you're you're safe on jurassic world or you're safe on rise of Gru, and you win on those fronts we'll, so we'll still give you credit there bodies 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 226 thousand new york and la on only six screens so we're going to review that it's next almost forty thousand a screen that's not anything to sniff at for a good. small movie good so that's that's I mean, what's parasites record like a hundred and one thousand per screen something like that right 90, I, I, I tell remember. you i'm just shocked at the polarizing first impressions even though i know this movie came out at south by and it had a great critical score, meta score, everything. But we have some people that we trust. The more who love it, you, man. The more I read, the more it's like, oh, this is a movie for Gen Z. This isn't really skewing Gen Z. But this is a movie that Gen Z is embracing. Like, let's be honest, Chris Gore, Eric Weber. We respect the hell out of them in terms of their taste in movies, and you know we've disagreed hilariously mm-hmm. in the past, especially us with Eric, especially me. But look at we have. We have a lot of respect for those guys, and they despised it. Yeah, bodies, bodies, bodies. Which I was, I w- that's where I was floored. Like, how would, how do you think it's the worst movie of the year? Yeah, I, I don't get it, especially with that cast and especially with the premise. But and then you have someone like Swell who's like, oh yeah, this is a great movie. Uh, but I, <laughs> she said to she said to me, I enjoyed the movie. It was a ton of fun. But I am a Gen Z woman, so it, that makes sense. And I was like, oh, that's your reason. So to me, that suggests that this is a movie for her generation. Not for millennials and Gen Xs to make fun of Gen Z, which kind of was suggested by the trailers, but maybe we missed uh, the point. I don't want to jinx our guests, but we we got a Saturday recording next week, mm-hmm. hopefully uh, to have a good show in a film study of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. So that'll be next weekend, uh, maybe for Sunday, Monday there. Uh, I did review a couple more, Mike, or I do have a couple uh, more watches to report on. Luck, Apple TV+, Plus, Jane Fonda, Whoopi Goldberg, Simon Pegg, Lil Rel Howery. Maybe I just don't get this one. Maybe I couldn't pay attention all that close, but I really struggled with Luck, the animated film from some, some really talented people, some pioneers in the industry with mr lassiter there behind Mm -hmm. the scenes and a land full of leprechauns and talking animals it's just like this simplistic world building where all right we got a good luck place a bad luck place and they all connect together somehow and everybody's an anthropomorphic dragon or whatever the hell and 
<laughs> and there's a human that's somehow there, and she looks different than everybody else, but nobody recognizes it, and she's able to run amok until she can't, and who gives a shit? <laughs> I, I just, I don't care. It, it, it has nice, wholesome messaging by the end, and we're all, you know, cheering pretty, pretty uh, uh, clearly. At the end, Jane Fonda has some gravitas in terms of her voice acting performance. Maybe I'm a bad person, but I love the messaging. I didn't like the movie. Luck. Sorry. Fun family movie, maybe? Watch with the kids? Maybe it's a kids movie. Maybe that's the thing, and I just need a little more to bite into here. But, uh, you know, the, the cat eats a panini that did not look appetizing. Oh, that's, I mean, that's inexcusable. We can't have that. I really don't appreciate it. I agree. Yeah. Just D first plus. things first. D plus. No, I gave it like a C. <laughs> so I really don't know what to think. Uh, but I guess I'm becoming a full boomer these days. I like 13 Lives on Amazon Prime. Ron All right. Howard. I, I don't I don't want to hear the review. I, is it Oscar worthy? I don't think it'll be Oscar worthy. No. Thank God. Okay. Look at it. I've nailed every big prediction I've made is my point. <laughs> people people in my family are very angry with, angry with me right now because they love this movie. I watched it once by myself. And then I watched it again last night with with the family. Okay. I watched it twice. I really enjoyed it twice. The first time I, I watched 13 Lives, like, my heart was in my throat. It's such a harrowing storyline. I'm feeling for all these characters. But what they did so well is what they had these composite characters. And I don't know if they're composite, actually. I shouldn't say that. Because it could be based on all the real-life characters and they stuck right. to it. I'm not sure. But I don't remember there being like a composite engineer in the community. And he worked very closely with the town rep in terms of the, the mountain who knew, you know, the nature guy who knew how to do all the irrigation. And he was the rep. Anyway, they, they had these characters that you felt so much for. And you had a couple parents who were key characters that kept being, you know, liaised between the team and and the community and i just i really was touched and i was emotionally moved by how this you know ensemble of thai actors you know pulled this off and make made me feel just so it, it was it was such an intense movie watching experience from the outside in and then you got like vigo morris more uh mortensen joel edgerton colin farrell Every major suspense moment, their reactions were, were were incredible. You're feeling like the stakes. They did. They're in their best '90s natural disaster movie. So where mode is it here. lacking in terms of an awards player? I tell you, I'd just be surprised. Uh, I would. I just don't think it's got the rollout. I would think it maybe should be, perhaps B plus. Okay. So I, I look, it's going to be in my top twenty, man. I give it a B plus. Uh, 87. There, there's a there's a couple of clunky things about the story where it's a, I mean I don't want to say anticlimactic, but it's just not built for you know cinematic movie going. I mean mm -hmm. they're they're basically they're slowly scubaing you know seven hours underwater in a cave, right? You know, so you really got to accelerate that to make it. So it's not necessarily like Dante's Peak. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Or volcano or something where it's, you know, down to the second. But so there's obviously some, you know, they add some suspense little triggers there, which I did, you know, I could see through a mile away. So that's aggravating. But in terms of a feat of strength and love and perseverance by all these real life people characterized, 13 lives, I, I'm very in on this movie. I'm shocked. I did not expect to like it, Michael. 
It's the one I thought I was going to hit play on last night, and then life just kept. This was this has been a weekend from hell for me, so I, I didn't have time. Your dog's pooping on you. You're laughing at the Lord of the Rings box set <laughs> right. on your thing. That you you my, own my, the most expensive box set, don't you? Uh and you haven't watched good, it. I own I own a box set of it. That's a good question. If it's the I don't think it's the most expensive one. Anyway, but, thirteen lives, two and a half hours did not feel like it at all. Either either watch. It goes fast. I was very impressed all right. with that too. But your best movie you watched, which is one I did watch, I did have find time to watch, uh, Prey. You have this very highly rated. Oh, I loved every second of this. This was everybody just, does. This was awesome to me. And it I don't I don't know why I have to grill you now and I can't just well, gush about it, but what you've already you laid love? out the carpet for why? this entire episode. <laughs> Why don't you love this? Like, why can't you just embrace this movie and love it? You you said VFX. You didn't love this, the VFX. This is going to be. I'm going to go full villain one day. I haven't yet. I have I've to tried do this to be to like. You. Well, I still liked it. I still like. But like, if you're if you people are all going to do this to me, where me being like, oh, this wasn't bad, and then it's like, no, but it was great. Damn you! I'm going to turn on all of you. I, don't I want you all to know that. Why you don't think this is great? I genuinely. It was good. It's a good watch. I gave it like a B minus. I yeah. thought the VFX struggled. I, I did not like every scene involving an animal. I thought was not good visually. I, I thought it looked. Poor. It looked, that it CGI looked bear scared the ever living crap out of me. It's that, a real dog. That was the one. The one shot they give you with the bear that's in the trailer looked great, and I. That's why. That's what I was expecting for the entirety of everything that wasn't the dog, because the dog was a practical dog. It seemed anyway. It just didn't work for me. I wonder if you have something off with your television set. Could though, be because I. You know, I watched this on my flat screen at home and i had really no issues my, my, my biggest issues i would say came with maybe the predator but that you could kind of it's it's so outlandish well, there was that there's that too there was the acting was fine i wasn't blown away by it it was good for what it was i, I, th- I think uh mid thunder has a great future in the industry but it wasn't like awards caliber oh my god they're carrying this movie types like it was good it was it was it was good. I wonder if you watched. I I rewatched 1986's Predator, and here's well, here's, yeah. This is the point I want to make, Mike. Yeah. Like, you're gonna say this is the better movie than that. I agree with that. It's better. That movie to me is not good. Like it's it's a camp movie. It's a camp movie, and it's remembered finally because of Arnold and the handshake. It's, and stuff, but it's awesome not, though. The here, right. It's awesomely is, bad. 1986's Predator is awesomely bad until it's awesome. Right. Like the end, I, I agree. I agree. The end of Predator is awesome. Now, I stupidly tweeted that Prey is better than The Predator. I meant 1986s. I totally forgot that Olivia Munn and company remade The Predator, and it was The Predator. They added yes. a The. So people were kind of probably looking side-eyed at my tweet there. Like, oh, of course, you ass. Like, I didn't mean that. I wanted to say. And I'm then trying I just, to compliment it. And then a couple of people were surprised uh, or, or uh, commented, and I just left it there. But I meant to say predator. I forgot there was a the. So that's my problem. Anyway, right. uh, look, I just think this was a unique lens. Comanche 1719. Very unique. It's a rare glimpse at that society, hunter-gatherer. You had clear gender boundaries that somehow are timeless, 
and the, and, the, and the conflict there is still a conflict today where Naru, Amber Midthunder, wants to be a hunter and wants to gain the respect of, of all the warriors in the village there. And the fact that she has to prove it so spectacularly, and it's just that satisfying when you could tell those dueling stories. Yes, the alien has <laughs> dropped off and he's a trophy hunter and he's collecting his skulls and my god does he collect his skulls mm-hmm. when you have that dueling storyline with the fact that you're you're rooting for her as an under underdog going against the bear being a dog owner herself keeping her dog alive and of course you know going against this beast dan trachtenberg man he could direct yeah, he can. He's a phenomenal director. And there were some cool VFX, or I mean, I don't know, I don't think they were practical, but there were some cool VFX shots in terms of that chase scene through the field and stuff like like stuff with the Predator I, I did appreciate. The point I wanted to make with this movie, yeah. which I thought was an educated one until I, everybody <laughs> wanted to call this the greatest film of all time, like, there's such a big chasm between 1986's Predator and a good movie <laughs> well, well look at look at look at look at 10 cloverfield lane where does this rank for you and 10 cloverfield lane because i'm just below trying it. to understand below your rating system below it 10 cloverfield lane it was really, i don't this was a good movie but it was it's a fairly simplistic plot yeah it doesn't I, seem I, like I don't, there's a huge degree of difficulty you, but well, this is what i'm saying like this is you know why do you need degree of difficulty when it's a versus movie like if you do a monster movie really well just do a monster movie really because well. It's, because then it's nothing I haven't seen before. Why does it have to be innovative for you to give it a high gr- marks? I mean, to- stories are timeless, my friend. They're timeless. <laughs> they're archetypal. They're primal. Because, because stories retell- are archetypal. Why? But yet there's still you ones can't that come reinvent along that show stories all the time. That's not true. That's not true. I mean, you we can see it countless but, times but every year. Most stories are. No, you don't. I mean, look, you get tweaks on them, and this is a tweak but on it. But it's the tweaks that matter to me. Well, I, look, at, I respectfully disagree. That I, I rate this higher, much higher, and I do it because I think they have the production values, the screenplay, the performances for the most part, and the two production values that even... All right, fine. You're, you're, not, you're not a fan of the VFX. I think it comes down to how we view movies, like how we grade movies. Into, like, you want to grade what's on the screen, what's right in front of you, but, like, if I'm thinking about this in the history of movies, in the annal of film, like, where is it, like I don't think this is going to be with the B-pluses. Man, you're a tough grader. Like, the curve. But look at... I mean, in terms of the... I don't know. I, I grade a lot of movies. I cannot, in good conscience, grade any of my B pluses over this one. So that's where I'm at. Like I have to compare it to all my B pluses on the year. Like this movie belongs up there for me with scream and top gun Maverick. It belongs up there with RRR with the best movies of the year. I I just had like, it's either a high B plus or it's a low a minus, but here's the thing. I had a great experience watching it. And then I was starting to say before, like the production, but like the score is tremendous the cinematography is tremendous. The transitional scenes, like he's just, you know, turning the camera on nature and he's out there and where is he, Colorado or whatever. He's in the Great Plains of 1719. We don't know exactly where that is. We think it's on the edge of Texas, Colorado. That's my guess. Comanche territory. I was looking at maps of that in 1720s. Uh-huh. Anyway, I just, I, I like, like a lot of people, I wish this was in theaters that it could make. I do too. Badly. You know, eight or nine figures. There's no doubt this would have made money. But then again, and this is where the strength of streaming does come in. 
this is only going to help people want to get Hulu. People should want to get Hulu. People should want to watch Prey on Hulu. You know, just based on the word of mouth alone. You know, I mean, you, we, we disagree a little I bit I mean, this here, won but, the weekend, I think. Yeah, this one, this one film Twitter, that's for damn yeah. sure, right? There was Everybody was talking about this movie. Right. Everyone that I saw, anyway. Uh, so, I, I think this is... And if streaming is the future, if streaming is where this is going, then it wouldn't surprise me to see this type of movie be exclusive to streaming as streamers want to build their catalogs, which is what makes the DC move so bizarre to me. Yeah. You have to have both, I think, in this day and age, if you're a major studio. You would think they just brought in a huge subscribership with new movies on their on their streamer. Mm-hmm. Did they were they not able to keep them? We gotta look. We gotta study these quarterly reports. We gotta we gotta understand it. And I get, I understand that there's money to be made in theaters still, and they've been trying to like do like the TV movie route with, you know, what, what was the Father of the Bride and mm-hmm. a couple other movies on HBO Max that the, maybe they just performing so poorly that they're like, whatever we're doing with the HBO Max movie studios not working. I don't so think not. they. I don't think he has any regard for HBO as a brand, and I have a bunch of evidence to back that up with when really? we get into the episode. Oh my god! Yeah. Uh, well, look at. Let me finish out with a couple of cherries on top of the Sunday because I watched a bunch more movies over the last week and a half, Michael. That I I have to, I have to rep here because the African Desperate from Martine Sims. This this closed new directors, new films in Lincoln Center, and I just mm-hmm. caught it at the the Black Star Film Festival, which is a vers- okay. virtual festival on Eventive, which everybody, E-V-E-N-T-I-V-E, words of wisdom today, if you want to keep track of some, you know, smaller festivals, they do virtual stuff still, and the African Desperate, really funny, <laughs> it's about an art school graduate's last night on campus after she got her master's degree. And it's just this funny coming-of-age movie. It's a party movie. It's this day-in-the-life movie. It satirizes the hell. I like those types of movies. Satirizes the hell out of the art world. Like, there's a lot of dicks in there in one exhibit. <laughs> just, just FYI, trigger warning. A lot of penis, which was hilarious. Like actual dicks. Yeah, no, they're all up <laughs> on these TV screens. It was just hilarious. I, I'm like, it's like, I couldn't believe it. I was like... <laughs> Oh, my God. Anyway, really funny, particularly funny with all the, you know, making, you know, satirizing the idiot white people in this movie. So nice that the African desperate, very, a very big fan. And it's dramatic when it needs to be, by the way. So that's good, too. So I, I have a lot of respect for Martin Sims as a filmmaker going forward. And, you know, we're going to have to look out because she did some cool ass things from the credits to, you know, a lot of a lot of inspired art school type of stuff here that she made very cinematic and somehow work. So I'm very impressed there as a debut. Cool. I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I watched the Bob's Burgers movie and I watched Beavis and Butthead do the universe. I like them both. They? And I've yeah. never seen an episode of Bob's Burgers. And I've yeah, I've seen do America, but I'm not a Beavis and Butthead TV show guy like I barely watched that. Both very funny. I'm an idiot, but so who knows? What made you turn on the Bob's Burger movie? I just wanted to see another animated feature. I watch everything I can, can I? But you do. There's you some do. musical numbers that are really fun. The movie made me laugh three or four times. The story was inventive enough that I was hooked, and they got. I like the characters. So it's about food, right? It's about a burger place. So you know me. I, I, I mean, I'm just curious. You have no exposure to that property. None. That's, that's none whatsoever. Yeah. And yet I... It's very well done. It's a very well done show. 
I, I yeah, I liked the TV movie. I thought or it was a you know it was a theatrical movie. Yeah, it was a theatrical release. Um, I watched a couple movies on Netflix, and I forgot to shout out RRR. How did I forget? I watched this like three weeks ago. I texted you immediately. Yes, RRR is great. <laughs> it's not good. It's great. It's batshit. It's it's effing crazy. Loved it. Everybody, everything everybody said. Watch RRR. It's three hours. It's ludicrous. Just watch it. <laughs> Munich, The Edge of War, Andrew Morgan recommendation on Netflix, and The Girl in the Picture, which I actually heard on an NBA podcast, The Mismatch. The okay. guys like recommending The Girl in the Picture as a true crime documentary. Both very good. Oh, oh, oh I yes, I have heard glowing reviews about that. As yeah, yeah, yeah. Disturbing a storyline yes. as you'll ever get, but it's a true story and you have to know what happens and it hooks you very early and there's a million twists along the way. My God. Scary, disturbing, but a really good true crime documentary. You feel for the victims, you get a sense of what this process is like in terms of uh you know, the, the, these these murder investigations, these missing persons investigations, my God. So Netflix has got a, a you know, they still got a deep bench of good movies. And Andrew has been recommending Munich, The Edge of War forever. It was just a really good behind the scenes spy craft type of film about, you know, 1937. You have the British contingent, the British government, Neville Chamberlain's government going and trying to broker peace with Hitler. And you have spies on that both sides, well. so it's intense. Yeah, the appeasement was always the go-to move there. <laughs> but look, they they do address that. It's front and center. Uh, yeah, well, it's you know one of the biggest faux pas in global history. Yeah, but there's another layer, which was interesting. <laughs> okay. There's a couple more layers. At least that's what the guy from 1917 told me. It convinced me of. <laughs> What's his name again? He's always got a shirt off. Bastard. He's very skinny and fit. <laughs> Um, uh, uh, McKay, George McKay. Yeah, yeah, George McKay. Thank God go. I, I came like, up. I was trying to think of old grandpa names because he's got he sounds like, George McKay sounds like an old grandpa. <laughs> Wilfred Brimley <Yeah. laughs> or George uh, McKay. <laughs> we gotta wrap up kind of quickly because we're running short on time, guys. As always, what matters most to us are your thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns about anything we covered in this episode or in the MMO Empire. You can leave us those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MMNOscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify app, if you appreciate what we do, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, it would take a couple seconds out of your day and make our entire days in return. Michael, you've given the words of wisdom. Tell the good people what's coming next. And let's get out of here. Yeah, watch Eventive, watch RRR, Words of Wisdom. We got the WB episode next. We'll talk about Batgirl. We'll talk about Joker 2. We'll talk about DC. Uh, we'll certainly talk about HBO Max. And uh, we're going to review Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. At least that's the plan uh, for next weekend as of the next film study because it's a cool-ass horror film according to a lot of people. And I think the stakes are high now that, that we have some people we trust not like it. So that's... yeah. I'm 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 a little rattled. I don't know what to think. That that's a 50-50. That's a coin flip for me. And yes, we'll return to our summer Oscar series with betting updates, predictions, and special episodes to close out August before we embark on our fall Oscar series. Right. That'll turn into our winter Oscar series. That is all of 
course, a part of our year in preview series. <laughs> it really is. It really is. We're we very have our organized. own MCU. We're very organized. No, I de- we wanted to do a summer Oscars series, and I, I know we're going to do a predictions episode, I think. But we had so many new shows crop up that we were going to keep doing like one a week through August. But yeah, it's. I mean, look, we're covering the hell out of the film festivals, but all the news. I, I, we want to do an Oscar betting show. Uh, we'll have a guest for you guys, I think, and then we'll definitely do a prediction. So at least, bing, bang, boom, one, two, three, miniseries, I guess. And then it'll be fall. Yeah. yeah. Then we got a fall Oscar series. Right. It's just it literally, <laughs> we have to start creating characters, and then we'll <laughs> meld them together and have crossover episodes. Guys, when reality sucks, you can come prolong the summer with us. We're Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya. See ya.